So what is it that makes us, as humans, different, even shall I say better than monkeys? Well, maybe not much these days, but we do have a few things going for us as a species. I mean, according to Charlie Darwin, we both came down from the same family tree, right? Well, once that good old evolution thing kicked in, humans came down from the trees, started thinking about how to make their world a better place, and then before you know it, we were creating and exploring our world. The arts and the sciences were born, and that is what makes us different, yes, even shall I say better than our pesky primate cousins. Hello everybody, I'm Brian Hanna. Welcome to WQLN Radio's original podcast, Better Than Monkeys, an exploration of the arts and the sciences, featuring guests much cooler and smarter than I'll ever hope to be. On this episode of Better Than Monkeys, from humble folk music to cool, innovative jazz fusion, the banjo really has become a quirky yet lovable part of the American music scene. Today's guests are true champions of the banjo. With 16 Grammys and 30 nominations, Bela Fleck has taken the banjo further than anyone in history. From exploring its earliest African roots, to fusion jazz with his band The Flecktones, to performing with major orchestras, you can hear him on albums with Garth Brooks, Dolly Parton, The Oak Ridge Boys, The Gatlin Brothers, or find him collaborating with Edgar Meyer, Chris Thiele, Mark O'Connor, and Chick Corea. His latest and most satisfying collaboration, however, is with his wife, singer-songwriter and fellow banjo enthusiast Abigail Washburn. Abigail is best known for pairing folk elements with new and innovative sounds. Her music feels fresh and new and familiar all at the same time. Pair this husband and wife duo together and the result is beautiful, deep, and magical. They're going to be performing at the Chautauqua Institution on July 26th, and they are my guests today on Better Than Monkeys, Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn. Hello, everybody. I'm Brian Hanna from WQN Radio, and joining us today, uh, the great banjo duo, uh, Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn. They're going to be performing live at the Chautauqua Institution on July 26th at 8.15 in the beautiful amphitheater, and they're joining us live today. Where are you joining us from? We are sitting in the only spot we know of with cell reception in um, this Washington part of Depot. Washington Depot, Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not too far away right now. You're at least on the same coast, so that's not so bad. That's true. And we're, we're here working with a group that I think is no stranger to the Chautauqua stage, the Palabolas Dance Troupe. Oh, Palabolas. They're uh, wonderful. The Shadow Dance Company. Yeah, yeah, right. And we're creating a, a new piece with them and getting ready for their Five Senses Festival. Well, that's very exciting, too. So I'm going to look that up on the web. I'll share all that information, too. That's very exciting collaboration. Speaking of collaborations, you're like the dream team right now, Bela and Abigail. You know, uh, forget Kanye and Kim or Justin and Haley. Uh, it's Bela and Abigail. Uh, you two found the banjo at separate times in your life, which is uh, an unusual instrument to pick. Now, I was reading a story about the great Steve Martin and his fascination with the banjo. He's doing those wonderful things with Steep Canyon Rangers. But apparently he wasn't allowed to play the banjo banjo really so he would sit alone in his car at night and practice three and four hours sometimes to teach himself the banjo it is a fascinating instrument with uh, some uh, foreign roots uh Bela, why don't we start with you tell us how you discovered the banjo how do you fall in love with an instrument that's maybe not as widely recognized as some of the other instruments we know that's a good question i can only answer it with a question because <laughs> uh, for me it's even weirder because i grew up in new york city uh, on the upper west side and um there was no cultural reference. It was just a sound I heard on television, and it blew me away. 
And I will say television has a powerful impact on people, and we've learned this with our own child, our son, Juno, who we wouldn't ever let watch TV, but when we finally let him watch, we let him watch a little bit of golf, and now he's a golf freak. And so sometimes <laughs> Huge you, know, you with, withhold television from a kid and then just let them see something. It has a way of imprinting on you. And one of the first things I saw was the Beverly Hillbillies. I was allowed to watch it with my big brother right. uh, in Queens at my grandparents' house, and it just... I couldn't believe the sound of the banjo and I had not, you know, the, the Southern part of it, the folk part of it, all of that. I had no, no connection to none of that was happening anywhere in my life, but um, this, the sound of it knocked me out. Well, that was the greater Earl Scruggs uh, from what I understand. It sure was. And he did, he does that to people. Uh, he's turned a lot of people, uh, banjo players, I would call them banjo people that, that are unactivated. He activates a lot of the ones for Abby. It's a different style of banjo and Earl, wouldn't be the person that did that for her. She came at it a different way. For her, it was Doc Watson, who was a great frailer, although he didn't frail publicly that much as his career went on. Gosh, he was a wonderful player, and she can tell you about that. I heard an LP of Doc Watson singing and playing Shady Grove, and that's what, um, at a party, and I just sat in the corner and listened to it and played that song over and over again until everybody became annoyed with me. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then I went out and I bought a banjo, and that was the beginning for me. But I bought an open back banjo, which is more commonly connected to a style of playing called frailing or claw hammer style, which uses the fingernails rather than finger picks. And it's more closely associated to the origins of the banjo, which comes from Africa and the, the style that came along with it from certain parts of Africa. Yeah. Right, and Earl Scruggs actually took those older styles and turned them on their heads. He was a great innovator that changed the whole base of the banjo into what we uh, we think of now when we think of bluegrass banjo and all of its offshoots. None of that would have happened without Earl Scruggs. Is very simple but incredibly well thought out. I don't know what the word to say is that it had a lot of impact what he came up with, just using, revolving those three fingers in the way that he did create possibilities that nobody had ever thought of. And those really didn't start till the, the 30s and the 40s. Uh, people started hearing this, this style of banjo. Well, now that uh, you and Abigail are kind of returning to the banjo's roots with your most recent recordings, still doing some really innovative things, but going back to the traditional banjo sounds, you were inspired originally, Bela, with the original sound of the banjo. But over the course of your career, you've really kind of twisted and modified the banjo sound, still keeping the flavor, uh, but using it uh, electronically and uh, getting uh, some really unique sounds, especially with the flectones. What inspired you to step away from traditional banjo and move into the jazz crossover mediums? I think uh, I've always been trying to be like a complete musician, and so I think a complete musician should experiment with the most far-out things they can figure out how to do and the most traditional things they can figure out how to do and explore all of the all of the edges in the search for their, their own sound, the things that resonate the most with them. So for me, there was a lot of fun after, after learning some traditional stuff. My natural bent was to push it and push on out into different areas. And I would say it still is. I mean, what I like to do, actually, I'm, I'm very impressed being, being around Palabalus and watching them create dance routines because they talk about making stuff. Let's get together and make stuff. And then I realized whenever you leave me alone in a room with a banjo, I'm just sitting there with the banjo trying to make stuff. Um, create little ideas and new techniques and things that, that give me new language on the banjo. And I, I think that's closer to what I really am than anything. And then you just put me in different contexts. And if I'm in a classical setting, I'm playing, I'm trying to play to fit that. If I'm in a jazzy setting or a flectone setting, I be more experimental. And with Abby, I can go in some more traditional directions. Or when I play with some of my old bluegrass friends, I can, I can really try to to go back to the Earl Scruggs sound, but I'm never going to do it like him. But I would say what Abby and I do sounds like it's traditional, but it's actually quite a hybrid. 
It's, it's very unusual to have these different kinds of banjos playing together and in the different combinations we've come up with. And, you know, Abigail, does Bela kind of inspire you to try different things with the banjo and uh, maybe find a little bit of a different voice? Oh, definitely. I think both Bela and I really enjoy giving each other the space to have our own voices. But we also really like to um, challenge each other to do things a little differently. And for Bela with me, that might be staying within a certain box or framework and trying to create from within that rather than breaking out of it. And for me, it might be challenging me to think in a different time signature than I'm used to or try to create um, something where I'm featured playing something uh, more melodic on the banjo. So yeah, I think we both like to to push each other in different directions, but certainly Juno, I mean, Juno, I always call Bela Juno, our our (laughs) son's name, and I call our son Bela. I I think most parents can relate to that. Yes, it's a parent. Um, But Bela Bela certainly is, um, well, I mean, you know, I'm going to just say this, but I think think he's a a, a true legend at this point in our country, and um, for taking an instrument that in our contemporary memory hasn't gone into the places like jazz and classical music uh, in a long, long time. And he's taken it there. And it's been a really exciting thing to have banjo infuse different different musical genres and worlds. And it's exciting to see him do what he does. And I, I really do, uh, I do. I feel so grateful that I get to play with him in, in um, such a, a close collaboration so often, you know. And I, you know, I really do think it's a dream come true for both of us to a certain extent. I mean, we both, and especially Bela needs to be involved in a lot of projects outside of what we do. But the fact that we can get in a vehicle with our children and this amazing crew that helps us do what we do and travel town to town together as a married couple with our family creating music and sharing the music that we love with people it's, it is a dream come true and we pinch ourselves every day and go really really yeah what a beautiful way <laughs> to spend your life you know uh and you yeah. know uh having a, a close connection is, is important in any kind of music making you know anybody who plays in any kind of ensemble understands that you need to have some kind of a connection with your fellow musicians in order to get the best music possible out of the ensemble. It's even more important in a duet setting to have that kind of creative intimacy that you can actually share with each other without being afraid to, sh- to share your intimacy there. But you guys have a little advantage being as you are married. I understand that you met at a square dance. We did. I, I would say that being married doesn't necessarily make it easier to collaborate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we've done incredibly well. It's different. Yeah. Not everybody should. This is the legend talking, by the way. It's <laughs> the um, legend. <laughs> um, people say, oh, that's great. Did you think a lot of people should collaborate with their partners? And we say, well, no. I mean, it's based on the partner and the kind of relationship that you have. There are wonderful stories about team teams of uh, husbands and wives that re- achieve mar- remarkable things, and there are stories of the ones that splinter their relationship by trying to work together. So you really have to make that decision based on your personalities and how it feels. But for us, it's it's a real joy and a very I think we'll always think of this as a very special part of our life when we were able to put it all together. And also, we see a lot of really tough situations with musicians. So we have a lot of friends who are musicians, being musicians ourselves. <laughs> and we see them go through these tough, tough things where the father or the mother is traveling and the other is taking care of the kids. And it often makes, uh, it's very, it's very tough uh, right. on families. To be separate. To be yeah. separate like that. And especially the more successful it's going for the musician, the more they're gone and the more they're trying to make the money to keep the family happy but the family is saying well we don't want the money we need you here and it's it's a rip and a tear and I've seen it again and again and so when we decided to have kids Abby had been putting pushing me back I've been saying we need to get one do the do the do this duet thing honey it's gonna be good and she said yeah I know but it's 
too soon. I'm not ready to do that yet because I'm not established enough on my own, and people are just going to think I'm playing with you because you're because I'm your wife. And I was like, well, once once they hear you, they're going to know why I'm playing with you. You know, don't worry about it. Um, but anyway, finally, when we got pregnant, he did the hard part. Yeah, <laughs> that's our standing joke. Um, we said, well, I said, well, this is the time because because otherwise I'm going to be gone, and I don't want to be a parent that's gone. And so um, now that we have two, I am starting to be gone a little bit more often just because uh, it's not necessary for Abby to be put in the position of having to be, you know, ha- having two kids on the road is harder, especially when the baby is really young. But now he's getting older yeah, it's getting a little easier. and now we can do a little bit more and we're starting to make it a more central thing again. It's not like it, like it ever went away, but it seemed like an OK time for me to go off and do the Flectone tour that I just did or do the dates with Chick Corea that we postponed um, when Abby got pregnant uh, it, that were you know, going to happen right on the due date. Right. So that he was kind enough to let me out of that. At any rate, it is a, a real privilege to get to do to do this together. This would be the perfect spot in the interview to step away for just a second and let me bring you an example of just how beautifully this couple works together, Bela and Abigail. Here's a selection from their newest album, Echo in the Valley. Here's a little bit of a sample of a piece called Over the Divide. Here are Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn.
Just one beautiful selection from the album Echo in the Valley, music by Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn. That was a piece called Over the Divide. We'll hear more from Bela and Abby in just a few minutes. But first, let's go back to our interview. Again, if you're interested in Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn at the Chautauqua Institution, you can find it at www.chq.org. They are performing in the amphitheater on July 26, 2019 at the Chautauqua Institution. Here's the rest of our interview with Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn. You both have explored some of the original roots of your instrument, uh, Bela. You spent some time uh, exploring the African roots of the banjo. Um, and Abigail, you've kind of taken off and gone uh, and explored some Eastern music that fits very well with the banjo. Do you want to talk about the international uh, influences on the instruments? I feel like it's like an instrument is literally an instrument and, and the spirit that's brought to it through the person that plays it is, is what gives it the voice. And um, I happened to have studied Chinese for four years and it was my major in college before I started playing the banjo and, and becoming really, really involved in the musical life. And so when I started playing the banjo, I thought, well, I'll take it with me back to China because I thought my future was going to be in China doing law. I didn't assume that at the age of 21, picking up the banjo meant I would have any kind of career with it. So that was a real surprise that I ended up doing music at all. So when I started playing the banjo, it was almost more like a way to share American culture with my Chinese friends and take that piece of America with me to China when I moved there for a long time. I, I ended up not doing that. I ended up not going to China because a, a career just magically opened up for me in banjo music and in folk music. So I stayed here, but I never forgot. And still to this day, I, you know, I study my, my Chinese podcasts, uh, you know, every other day and plan my next trips to China. And I've, I've been on there, um, there for tours 16 times. And, you know, so it, it, it's just a significant part of who I am. And when I brought my spirit to the banjo, I also brought this love of China to it. And so I sing songs in Chinese, folk songs from people I love who I met there. And I have collaborations in Chinese. I have a record, a duo record coming out next spring that was produced by Bela with a wonderful Guzheng artist from Beijing named Wu Fei. And uh, that's beautiful combination of banjo and Guzheng and singing um, around our friendship and our um, togetherness as mothers and women in music and um that's that's an exciting thing i'm working on too so yeah it's just a big piece of who i am and so that's what i do musically i think it's wonderful that both of you branch out so far from the original roots of the instrument people sometimes try to say stay so true to uh what they originally fell in love with that maybe they miss some opportunities and it sounds like you guys take every opportunity you can to expand a little bit yeah i i like to um celebrate everybody's approach like i rather um you might you might think of me as a modernist. I'm I, I like everything. My natural tendency is to push it and and look you know try to make things. But I think somebody who loves the way the banjo was and uh, wants to celebrate Earl Scruggs is playing and try to master it and have that be their offering. It's going to sound different anyway when a new person plays it. Um, so rather than looking at them as having a lack, I just think they're we're all filling in different ends of the, different pieces of a big puzzle. And I want there to be people that are playing in the old styles uh, to show them to the next generations and give them that option too. But um, it, it just in terms of being complete, you know, you can't, no one person can do everything. And you start to figure out what your strengths are and you try to build on those and, and build your own personality to offer it, you know, as a musician. Anyway. 
Well, that's you know, that little rant. <laughs> well, you know, uh, <laughs> growing up in college, uh, when I was a young man in college many moons ago, uh, flectones were a stable in in my music ensemble listening. Loved that. Loved Victor Wooten. Uh, loved all the work you were doing back with the flectones. So, uh, Bela, you were familiar to me when uh, Chautauqua called and said that you were going to be performing that we could do the interview. And Abigail is relatively new to my repertoire, uh, a completely different style. I love uh, the, the folksiness. I love that style of music. So this is a, a new introduction to me, uh, and I spend all day in the classical music world, so it's hard for me to branch out sometimes because I'm so busy with the classical music world. But right. it's such, you two fit together so beautifully in so many ways. Do you write your own lyrics together? Do you write all of the music that you're performing together? Or yeah. do you do it separately and then bring it to your partner? Yeah, so well, first I would I would did you happen to listen to um, City of Refuge, that album of, of Abby's? That, that's kind of yeah. her um, indie folk record, which really really is one, I just think, a real special record. I like all your records, but anyway. Yeah, I like um, But yeah, so the first record we made, um, we really didn't write together very much at all, just a little bit, um, because we, were, we did it uh, just after the birth of uh, Juno, and we were trying to figure out how to get a record out there so we could start touring together, and we did it in the spaces, and we worked with things that we had either already written each of us, or things that uh, that we could get together fast, which meant some traditional material, and it worked out well. I mean, I think we were happy with that record, and we really are. But this time, we're, when we made Echo in the Valley, we really wanted to write songs together because what can happen when you're a vocalist? Vocals have a tendency to dominate, um, and that's not a bad thing. It's the most natural thing. Your ear will go to the voice rather than an instrument every right. time. So in order for me not to become Abby's backup musician, I needed to have a voice in the lyrics, too. And, and, and the songs had to be about things that I felt good about, not just let's do your new songs, Abby, and then we'll call it a Bela Abby record. How can, mm-hmm. how can we create something? How can we make something together mm-hmm. that reflects both of us equally? Or it doesn't have to be dead equal, but in a, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a, strong, in, in a strong offering that represents both of our points of view. And that was the challenge this time. And we had some learning curves there. We had to figure out how to accept each other's ideas because we really hadn't collaborated like that yet. And right. that was probably the most challenging, um, maybe partly because we were husband and wife, because there are things that you, as a as a partner in a relationship, there are lots of places where you bend. Right. But what, what should should you bend when you're making music? Like I've always felt like the, in the idealism of, of the creative act is something I'm used to doing with people and fighting for my ideas, like fighting hard for my ideas if I have to. And how do you do that in a partnership where you're, you should defer to each other? So we really had to get over some things and start, like New York had to come back out <laughs> in me. And Abby right. had to fight back and we had to have a real dialogue. But we, we finally learned some techniques to write together um, that got us away from being reactive and not liking each other's points of view. And that was to, to free write, to sit to get down together and write lyrics uh, separately at the table, present them to each other, and then go away. Yeah. Leave it alone for a while because we would always be so attached to what we thought the song was. But then when we came back a few weeks later or a week later, got over it, uh, we would almost always agree on a, on a route through the lyrics we had both created that we both loved. And that was the key, just to come up with something we both could love, not where, okay, you get to have this song and you get to have that song, you can leave that one. It was like, no, we both have to love everything. Once we got the first song where we both really liked it and we felt proud um, and heard, then we knew we had a technique to to write the rest of the record. 
And, you know, Abigail, of course, comes from a, a writing, a performing background with this. Uh, you're known mostly for uh, doing instrumental writing and not as a lyricist. Was it hard for you to pick up that mantle? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, uh, it's not something I have a track record or why anybody would, nobody would call me up and say, hey, let's go write some lyrics together. Um, <laughs> so I, I wasn't even sure for myself that I could do it and that it would be right and abby uh, what we discovered also is that abby has a very poetic way of writing a lot of metaphor a lot of um things that hang in the air question marks where i tend to write in a very literal way um like i want to i want to tell the story in a very clear way that's sort of uh, so we had to reconcile those two approaches in the in the same song um, but we got there we sort of discovered and a lot of times you know now that the songs have been around for a few years we discovered that we can see the connections that the song actually does make sense the way we finally came up with it you don't always know as you're writing why this line feels so right to you and then you realize oh that's because the girl with the die you know right. <laughs> uh, now i see why you know right. why it had to be that line and, and that's an interesting thing about writing as you get to know your own writing when you first create it it's brand new to you and you're not even sure but then as it sets and you've recorded it and you've got to know it you performed it a bunch of times now you have a different relationship with the material and you can sort of try to understand it almost as someone who's interpreting someone else's material yeah. And it can be really revelatory to hear what other people think about your music, too. Sure, it means one thing to us, but then whatever it, the significance is to the person listening, an audience member, a fan, a friend, whatever it is, um, that matters, too. That's the meaning for them, and that's what's important. And so um, people will come up and say, you know, I thought that song was so wonderful because it meant this to me. And it might have been totally different totally from different what I yeah. intended. Uh, you know? Well, Sting had uh, Every Breath You Take was a song of, of anger that is now thought of as one of the greatest love, love songs, songs in yeah. right. history. You know, that's a great example of that. But no, interpretation of the listener is actually the whole point. You just create something and then it's it's the listener's, uh, it becomes, belongs to the listener then. It's, it doesn't matter at that point what you wanted it to be unless someone asks. They right. can have it be whatever they want it to be. Well, you know, Echo in the Valley is a beautiful album. Uh, I'll put links on the uh, website so everybody can check that out there, too. I think everybody should own this album. It's a great addition to any library. And, uh, you know, I had a couple of other questions. I won't keep you too much longer because I know you're on a limited schedule. But I've been doing this uh, radio gig here for about five years now, and I've met some of my idols. I'm a trumpet player. I got to speak with Wynton Marsalis a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that's always oh, yeah. exciting for me. So I don't really fanboy out very often. Every once in a while I do. Uh, you guys have enjoyed quite a bit of fame and notoriety, but do you still have fanboy moments when you meet an artist, a fangirl moment, uh, somebody you've looked up to your whole career and you finally meet them for the first time? Is, is there any of those moments that come to mind? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you mean still? Still. Or back in the day? Oh, either or. Because I, mean, I have both of those, you know. I had amazing. I've had the amazing experience of getting to know some of my favorite musicians that were my. I was fanboy for Chick Corea. I just loved his music, and now we're close friends. And but it was also true in the bluegrass world that got that, that happened for me. But yeah, I mean, I can be a little bit. I can get a little. You know, uh, what's the now word? you get to play with Chick Corea? Yeah, no, I exactly. think it's hard for him to get over the fanboy to just play with Chick Corea for a while there. Yeah, it was very intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's, you know, I, I still have never gotten to play with Herbie Hancock or Pat Metheny. And when they come around, I get kind of clammy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For some reason, Winton has always, he hasn't ever wigged me out. Um, not since the beginning, I guess. But, but there's a banjo player named J.D. Crow right. who used to walk into the room and I'd be playing at the Holiday Inn uh, with a band called Spectrum back in the 
uh, late 70s and 80s, he would walk in and all of a sudden I couldn't play. When I saw him walk in, he would, because I, and he didn't play anything like I, he was the most traditional cat in the world. I mean, he has things that he added, wonderful language he created, but really based out of the Scrugg style. But when he walked in the room, his power over me was so great that I was literally would shatter. <laughs> immediately my timing would go to, to crap and I couldn't, I couldn't play like myself because I was so, so infatuated with his music. And, Do you think oh, there was a turnaround rate, point for you? him where he would walk into the room and, and see you playing, boy? Maybe he would lose it at this point. No, he had a strong sense of himself and about you know what the tradition was. I I think he was always a bit skeptical. But as the years have gone by, he's been very sweet. But it's it's uh, I still have that that fear of him. Yeah, and he's an elder leader. You know, he's uh, he doesn't need uh, Bela's approval. <laughs> right. Yeah. How about you, Abigail? Well, when I was first starting, um, right, you know, just after hearing the Doc Watson stuff and looking for what I was going to identify with, I. I um, found Gillian Welch and Dave Rawlings, and I remember that I was just really a big fangirl of theirs for many years, and then when I finally met Gillian and Dave, I I was really tongue-tied. I didn't quite know what to say or how to hang out. I was super awkward, and I, I now I call them friends, but I'm still, you know, still there. there's something about the power they had over me that, that I can't quite get rid of, you know? There's one of the neat things about a relationship is the people that Abby fan fangirls out about. I'm not, you know, I I like those guys. I, I like, I've always liked their music. I remember when they started playing in Nashville, and they they had their duo, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty nice, you know. It it wasn't my music, so I right. I was I always found it very easy to be equal with them. But for Abby, I don't think J.D. Crow or even Earl Scruggs, when she first met Earl Scruggs, she related to him as an older sweet man rather than as the god of the banjo right, right. so yeah. we, she had was able to immediately be very warm and natural with him where i was uh, more always aware of who he was and it was a little harder to get to that place so we got there it was yeah. just very uh, fortunate and i got to open for doc watson once and um i was pretty i was pretty awkward then too i just sat and watched him and said is it okay if i listen to you and he said uh sure that was about it. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> well, I only ask because I always love to to hear when uh, people that I've looked up to or idolized and listened to forever still have the same moments I have when I get to meet somebody that uh, really has made an impact on my life. So it's nice to hear we're all human a little bit in those ways. You know, oh, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. So again, I want to tell us real quick, uh, we've got just a couple minutes here about Echo in the Valley, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up and let you guys get on to your next interview. Sure. Echo in the Valley is our second record that we've made together as a duo. And um, it's significantly different from our first, because our first we made, Bela said earlier, when our um, first son, Juno, was born um, six years ago now. And I, I wouldn't highly recommend to anyone um, having a baby and then with your partner trying to create um, a, a Grammy-winning album. Together. That's just a lot to expect of, of the couplehood, but we did it, and I'm really proud of us. But I think that whole process was kind of a blur and um, really a strain. It was hard work because of the tiredness of that first year of baby, and um, especially the first baby, you just don't know what's coming at you, and all of a sudden you're just, bam, in the middle of it, you know? Right. So that I think... Oh, I still love the record though, and the more and when I go back and listen to it, I, I think, wow, we really did that. And Bela worked hard for that because I had he would get little forty-five minute you know moments with me in between feedings and things like that, and we were able to piece it together. But Echo in the Valley came at a, a much more well. We learned a lot from the first time round that we wanted to do it when life wasn't. 
so um, stressful, you know. So when our son turned about three and a half or four and was getting out of the sort of tantrum phase and becoming a little more level-headed and and we were getting more sleep and um, he, he was finally potty trained and, you know, all those things, we, we decided, okay, this is a good moment before we uh, dive in and try to have another kid, you know. Um, right. So we took that moment of reprieve in between the first and the second when things were kind of chilling out to create this record. And you can hear it in there. Um, you can hear the years of playing together that we had in advance of making this record. You can hear that we had made a record before together. And we took we took things to a new place. We'd learned how to intertwine the banjo roles in a way that is just a more deeply connected and, and understanding of, of where the other is coming from. Something uh, people might not realize about this album, too, is it's really a very um, intimate album. It's intimate. It's a little intense from time to time, uh, just from a, uh, a listener standpoint. It really yep. is a sonically beautiful album. It's kind of a full package. You hear a lot about our parenthood in there and um, our um, trying to learn how to let go as parents, you know, how to how to hold on tight, but also learn to let go. There's a lot about love. There's a lot about fear. There's fun in there, too, you know. And then there's sort of a banjo people thing, which is that two banjos, uh, when you listen to the record, Every single song is two banjos, and that's it, and, and Abby's voice. People like to put down the banjo, but we, we think the banjo is enough, and more stuff doesn't make it better. More stuff just covers up banjos. So part of it is this sort of celebrating the banjo together um, and finding ways to make two banjos sound like a whole. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you didn't miss it. I, I, I didn't miss any other instruments. That's mm-hmm. what we wanted, to just to feel like a world, create a world mm-hmm. where two banjos is enough, and that's that was our goal. There. And I've heard a number of people... A number of people have come up to me, you know, after or years after they, they'd seen us for the first time. Maybe, like, they'd say, oh, a friend of mine told me I should come to this show. They had an extra ticket. Their wife got sick, whatever it might be. So I came to the show, and I didn't expect I'd like it because I don't like banjo. You know, the people who have recalled this to me say, but then I realized this show was a, about a lot more than just banjo playing. It was about um, this voice and this uh, interaction between these two people, and the banjos actually are incredibly beautiful and I had no idea banjo could sound beautiful and um, it just so when people hear banjo they can often pigeonhole it as being a certain kind of experience and um, the people that I've talked to have been very surprised that they ended up loving something that was um, presented within you know banjo music well I'm a I'm a trumpet player and banjo has always been my guilty pleasure and I haven't undertaken that learning process yet but you may have been my inspiration at this point yeah yeah come on now so we can do it i'll take a page out of the steve martin book and sit in my car for four hours a night and learn how to play the banjo so do it it may happen at this point take a page from the louis armstrong book where a trumpet and banjo coexisted yeah. absolutely very they do exist <laughs> all right well we kind of well, get moving we've got we're holding some other people up now so we're gonna say i bid you a cheese fondue <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> thank you very much thank you Brian. thanks so much for taking time we'll see you at chautauqua on july 26th thanks abby and okay. bella have a great day please come say hi i will yeah, thanks again see you then okay bye Bye-bye. brian bye What a fun interview with a warm and inviting couple, Bela Fleck and Abigail Washburn. Again, they will be performing at the Chautauqua Institution on July 26th, 2019 in the amphitheater. If you'd like more information, you can find it at chq.org. 
If you'd like more information on Bela Fleck, you can find it at www.belafleck.com. More information on Abigail Washburn is available at abigailwashburn.com. Easy like that, isn't it? And you should check out their newest album, Echo in the Valley, if you can. It really is a wonderful, wonderful recording. I'd like to thank Carla Parisi at Kid Logic Media, Vanessa Weinert at the Chautauqua Institution, Jordan Steves and Emily Morris from Chautauqua for helping make this podcast possible. But mostly I would like to thank you for taking the time to spend your day with me here on Better Than Monkeys. Again, I'm Brian Hanna. Thank you so much for joining me for Better Than Monkeys. You can find more episodes of BTM on any of your favorite media players. You can ask your smart speaker to play Better Than Monkeys, or you can check it all out, as well as all the other wonderful programming information at wqln.org. I'm Brian Hanna. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Better Than Monkeys. Oh.